I've never told this story to anyone. It took me a moment or two to realise what I'd just agreed to. The first mistake that I ever made in my life. She said, I'm leaving Broome now, I'm coming to meet you. The memory lasted forever. Wanted young dynamic people to join our dog sledding family. All I know is that. It was like a shockwave going through my body. Hello from Darwin, the capital city of Australia's Northern Territory. This is the third podcast season from Spun, a live storytelling night in Darwin. My name's Jess Ong, and it's a bittersweet time for us at Spun HQ at the moment. If you listen to season two of our podcast, the very last episode, actually, you would have heard a really funny, poignant love story from Nick and Weed, two very special, very endearing Territorians. Sadly, Weed passed away last week. On behalf of the Spun team and of our audiences far and wide, I really want to thank Nick and Weed for their generosity in sharing their story. It was absolutely a Spun favourite and made its way into many ears and hearts. The build-up has arrived in our tropical town, which means we're all feeling a tad sweatier and moving slightly slower. The Larrakia are the traditional owners of the Darwin region and they recognise seven different seasons. We're currently in the Dalagang season, which means the winds die down and there's a tenseness in the air. With this tenseness, though, comes beauty in the form of flowering plants, there are pops of colour that peer through suburban fences, and intense sunsets, kind of like a bag of fairy floss has burst open into the sky. So on that note, a word of warning before we go any further. This first episode of our third podcast season is all about poo. If you find this subject a little bit hard to handle, or there's children around, you might want to pop on some headphones or maybe even listen to one of our other episodes. There's plenty to choose from. Tig Hogg went to Japan as an exchange student, and it was there, while in one of Japan's most crowded public toilets, that Tig rekindled his connection with a childhood acquaintance. So I grew up in quite a religious family. My dad was a Presbyterian minister. My mum married a Presbyterian minister. (laughs) So quite naturally as a child, uh, I went to church most Sundays, had a pretty good handle on the Bible stories, that sort of thing. And in general, I guess you could say I had a pretty good connection with God. Um, He seemed like a nice chap. The, you know, the kind of guy you'd want on your side. Um, fast forward a few years, I'm 17 and I'm on a high school exchange, staying with this lovely little host family in Toyohashi, Japan. And I think at this point in my life, the whole God thing had kind of worn off, um, perhaps for more than one reason, but my parents were thousands of miles away You know, I was by myself as a teenager. Having God there might not have been very convenient. (laughs) Somewhat ironically, my host family just delighted in taking me to shrines and temples almost every weekend. And on one particular weekend, we set off for what I'd been told was a large shrine with many foxes. That's what I gathered. My Japanese was pretty rubbish. I left the house that day 
kind of needing to poop. <laughs> Not like really needing, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a really sort of 50-50, take it or leave it, you know, no big deal sort of scenario. Kind of like when you get a bill in the mail and you should always pay it straight away, but you think, ah, oh, that'll keep, you know. <laughs> Maybe if I don't think about it, it'll go away. So anyway, we arrive at this shrine, and it was indeed a big shrine, almost like a big cemetery full of um, hundreds of these stone fox statues. It was, it was quite nice, and I understand there's a few of these shrines throughout Japan. I didn't quite gain a full understanding about what it all meant, because not long after I arrived, this poop that I had on board, <laughs> started to transition from a theoretical to a more tangible realm. Um, but no big deal, no big deal. There was a, like a cafe sort of gift shop thing in one corner of the, sh of the shrine. I figured they'd have a toilet, so I set off and I found one with a sign on it in English, presumably just for me, that said, closed for weekend. I panicked. Just a little bit. You know, I was confused. I was like, why does the bathroom need the weekend off, you know? Like, what's it got on this weekend? On top of that, I was thinking, if this thing gets any worse, where's it going to happen? Because the drive to the shrine had been like an hour long on a Japanese autobahn, six lanes wide, and it was just flanked on either side by rice paddies but it wasn't even rice season, so there was nothing in them except like knee-deep water as far as the eye could see, nowhere to hide. And I was just thinking, shit, if I've got a poop in there, it's going to be a horrific spectacle for so many people. I kind of waddle back to my host family and uh, I make some, some tactful indications that this shrine has been marvellous. It's definitely my favourite one, but it's probably time that we got back on the road. I didn't tell them about the whole closed bathroom, had to poop situation. The few people that I've told this story to have asked me, why won't you say anything? And I think being in Japan is kind of a lot like being in church. Like, everyone is just so nice and they're so polite and they spend half their time apologizing for things that probably don't really matter. You're just on your best behavior in Japan and you don't make a scene. And I didn't feel like I could unload this problem <laughs> onto them. And even if I did, you know, what were they gonna do about it aside from freak out about it as much as I was? And on top of all that, I think I was still at this point retaining some confidence, you know? Like, I hadn't shit myself in some time. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had no idea what my limitations were, and, you know, maybe I'd be able to sit it out. Back in the car on the way home, and any confidence that I had has completely gone. Um, the poo wasn't progressing in a typical linear fashion. It was, like, spiking exponentially. Um, some kind of dietary reaction, maybe, I don't really know. I'm sweating and I've got goosebumps and I'm nauseous and my host mother's saying something to me in Japanese and I'm just like, hi, 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 yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to meditate, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, not really listening to her. 
all of a sudden we're on an off ramp going off this motorway and um, it took me a moment or two to realize what I just agreed to. It was a detour to the largest Hyakuen store in Japan, like the largest $2 shop. And um, within a couple of minutes, we've arrived there at this massive, like, strip mall-sized $2 shop, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I'm suddenly thinking, shit, this might be my saving grace. Huge store, got to have a huge toilet. And we pile out of the car, and just off to the side of the main entrance was the universal sign indicating toileting facilities. I sort of abandoned my host family again. And there I was, this massive toilet block, like 30 stalls. I don't think I could quite say I was relieved at that point. Um, not quite. But I figured, you know, I've won the toileting lottery here. Like, this is a jackpot. Until I realized that every cubicle was occupied. It was like every bathroom in Japan had the weekend off, except for this one. This is quite critical by now. And so I'm furiously like checking under the doors to try and find one that doesn't have any feet under there. And I found one and the door is actually slightly ajar. And so I just pounce on it and burst on in there. And I'm greeted by a typical Asian squat style toilet. It's a hole in the ground. <laughs> With the biggest pile of poop in it I will ever see in my life. I can say that with confidence. Like, this thing wasn't full. That would be a dramatic understatement. It was just an atrocity. The, the flushing mechanism was just dangling by a thread. But I knew there were no two ways about it. I was contributing to this thing. <laughs> At the same time, I was kind of like, well, there's been a bunch of dudes that have come in here before me and I've seen this thing and I've just gone, oh, all right. You know, I, was just, I was just the next one in line. And I'm thinking, you know, when I'm done, I'm going to go next door into the shop and get a little New Zealand flag for the summit of this thing. But as I'm, um, you know, sort of saddling up, uh, I realized that I'm going to compromise the hygienic integrity of my trousers on the hinterland of this, like, the foothills of this mountain. I'd have to take them off. And so I'm up again and I've ripped one of my shoes off and I'm struggling to get a leg out of these trousers. And I'm experiencing highly elevated levels of rage and frustration at this point. Like, Japan has the most advanced toileting technology in the world, and here I am getting undressed to try and get a poop done. I guess I just lost it. And with the fury of a person about to shit themselves, I slammed my fist down on the flushing mechanism. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Fixed it, didn't I? Yeah, I was that toilet tech they needed the whole time. There was just an explosion of water. There's that, there's that whole fight or flight thing, you know? I'm a flyer. 
Like, there was no way I was diving on that grenade. But with nowhere to fly to except straight up the walls of the cubicle. With nowhere to fly to except straight up the walls of the cubicle. So I'm hanging now from the cubicle with this Mount Vesuvius of poop just erupting beneath me. The shoe that I'd taken off, gone. Straight under the door, it was out of there. The sheer weight of the poop pile was exploding outwards under the cubicle walls. I remember the screaming. It came in a Mexican wave from the adjacent cubicles. And so there I am, just hanging, and I'm so alone. I felt like equal parts, um, like victim and offender. And I was, I was just an emotional ruin. Um, I was reduced to prayers. I, I, I prayed. I remember joining it, an exodus of Japanese men in the, in the bathroom area. I remember one man was vomiting in the sink, or at, at least trying very hard to vomit in the sink. Uh, I remember exaggerating a display of shock and bewilderment in the hope that no one would suspect the six foot three foreign kid with one shoe on. I did find my shoe uh, on the way out and I just ran into the store and, and hid amongst the aisles. Eventually my host family tracked me down and they were none the wiser to what I'd just been through. I don't think people really pray for miracles because they're like, it's quite a big ask, you know? You don't want to stress the big guy out, you know? Um, and who am I to pray for a miracle anyway? But um, I think I kind of did pray for a miracle that day and I actually got a couple. The first miracle was that despite riding the crest of this punami, I came out of that bathroom block to the best of my knowledge without a single bit of shit on me. Uh, the other miracle that happened and the answer to a question unanswered at this point is what happened to the poo that I was trying to do the whole time? <laughs> and it just disappeared. Like a magic trick, it just vanished. A scientist might say, oh, well, that was a biological reaction to the stress and trauma that you experienced. It was PTSD, you know. You were scared shitless. My dad might say it was divine intervention. As for me, I don't know where it went or who may have taken it. But when I think about sort of the outcome of that horrendous affair, to me it was just a fucking miracle. <laughs> Thank you.
Tig told this story at our event where the theme was connections. And I am not exaggerating when I tell you that the entire audience was unable to breathe because they were laughing so hard. It takes some real guts to own and share a story like this. A situation we're all probably familiar with, I'm guessing, to some extent. Tig recently returned to New Zealand after a two-year motorcycle ride around the world with his partner Celia, who also happens to be Spun's amazing graphic designer. This podcast episode featured sound editing by Rosa Ellen, music by Lajlo Hassani, story production by Johanna Bell, with funding support from Darwin International Airport. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening. <laughs>